0: Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on in Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy! When I uh, pitched that video idea to
1: Jason, he said, Chase, sometimes you have great ideas and sometimes you have ideas. And I think that that was one of the latter. I thought we needed to laugh a little bit because we are going to be talking about, I mean, kind of a deep subject. We're going to be talking about uh, persecution, religious persecution. And just like Jason gave me uh, a beautiful takedown defense lesson, uh, three steps with the head and the hands in the hips, so Peter gives us, Christ followers, a three-step defense for when the enemy tries to take us out through religious persecution. So that's our topic. Now, I want to say off the top, I'm going to admit this is a very, very unique topic to preach in church because it's not necessarily going to apply to everyone. It's kind of niche. When I was preparing for this message, I loved it. You know, as a pastor, I I think I experienced some sort of persecution just in conversations, uh, just in my daily life. But I talk with some Christians that were like, yeah, I've experienced it somewhat and some, yeah, I've experienced it a lot and some some were like, I've never experienced persecution, and I kind of realized that being a pastor puts me in a unique position. Like, I just have a unique sort of life. I only have to work, like, two days a week, and no, I'm just kidding. But uh, when people ask me what I do for a living, I can't hide the fact that I'm a Christian. I can't say engineer or scientist. I have to say pastor. Pastor. And when they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, pastor, it's kind of like I say, I am the living embodiment of everything that you hate about Christianity. And so I have to I have to, to, to navigate those conversations. But that's, that's not everyone. I just want to admit that off the top. Maybe you're here, you're watching online or at one of our campuses, and you are not yet a Christ follower. First, we're glad that you're here, but we realize that this is not going to apply to you automatically. But I still think that this weekend is going to be really, really good weekend for you because first off, you kind of get a sneak peek into what you might experience should you make the decision to follow Jesus. And we really hope that you do one day. And that's one of the best decisions you can ever make. Making the decision to follow Christ, the, the, the life of a disciple, it's filled with joy, it's filled with purpose, um, it is filled with freedom, it's filled with peace, but it's not always sunshine and roses and glitter and dolphins. I don't know what dolphins, I don't know why I said that, but it's not, it's, it comes with a cost sometimes. And you should know that going in. I also think this sermon uh, might serve a secondary purpose. It might have a side effect that's kind of unintended. I hope that it happens because you're going to here, biblically, how we are supposed to handle persecution. And you're going to kind of file that away in your brain. Then you're going to leave this church setting, and you're going to see other Christians out in the community or on social media, and you're going to see how they respond to critique and how they respond to persecution. And it might be the exact opposite way of what the Bible commands us to do. And I hope in that moment there's a light bulb moment that goes off where you go, oh, not every card-carrying member of the American church is an exemplary Christ follower, and maybe you should not base your views of an entire religion on just that guy, okay? So I think that this weekend is gonna be good for you. And maybe um, if you are a Christ follower and you've never experienced persecution, that's a little weird for me to hear, but I think that it's possible. Like you could live in certain places in the country or even in the city where you hang out with just Christians all the time. Maybe you work at a Christian school. I think that's possible. I I would encourage you to get some more friends. But I think maybe um, if you would say you're a Christ follower, you've never experienced persecution. It might be because... You have too private of a faith. And I think that that's kind of normal. I think the statistics is that the average Christian uh, talks publicly about Jesus maybe three to four times every year. So maybe you haven't experienced persecution because no one knows that you're a Christ follower. Or maybe people do know that you're a Christian, but you've just distanced yourself so far from biblical Christianity, and have dropped all the offensive parts that your life really doesn't look any different from those that would not proclaim to follow Jesus. And if that's you first, I want to say, hey, that's okay. We're glad that you're here as well. But I think that as you spend time in Christianity, as Jesus becomes more real to you, as his truth uh, becomes more real and precious to you, and you begin to take steps into the bold, the courageous, the the life on mission that he has called you to, you'll need the lessons that Peter gives us. You'll experience this type of persecution eventually. And then maybe, you know, I believe that God gives us a word in season and out of season, that he can give us a lesson that we don't automatically have to use on Monday. I listened to a whole lot of sermons on marriage before I was married and I was thankful for it. So maybe just take some good notes, uh, laugh at all my jokes, make me feel good, stick that in your back pocket and uh, file that for later time. Uh, so even though it might not apply to every single one of us in the room right now we're watching online, that doesn't mean that there aren't millions of our brothers and sisters in Jesus all across the globe that don't face violent persecution on a daily basis. Because that's also a reality. I think uh, by historical records, um, the closest number that we can the most conservative number we have is that over the past 2,000 years, 3.6 million Christ followers have been martyred because of their faith. And I think our thinking is that all of that must have happened in the first century or the second century or medieval times. But that's just not the case. In the past 10 years, 900,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. That's down from 1.2 million martyrs between 2000 and 2010. Now, most of this happens underneath authoritarian regimes. A lot of it's happening as terrorist attacks against Christians in Nigeria and West Africa. But just because we don't experience it doesn't mean that that the daily reality of possibly losing your life for your faith doesn't affect our brothers and sisters. So so that's a reality, and I don't want to downplay that this weekend. I don't want to minimize the horrible persecution that many people people are facing, but also don't want to apply these verses to us. Just because they're facing it to a much worse degree doesn't mean that we can't apply these verses to our own lives. I've experienced persecution. The first time I actually really did... in a black and white way is when we were in Asheville, probably 2016, we started the church in 2015, and I was at a fundraiser uh, for a nonprofit uh, group that gave legal services to those who can't afford it. And so I sat down at a table with some good grub, and I sat with these three guys, and we were talking about the nonprofit and talking about all the good work that they did. And then the topic came up of what do you do for a living? And so this guy said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a politician. I'm on the, the city council. I'm a businessman. This guy was a lawyer. And then of course, what did I have to say? I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, Oh, like b- of, of the universal Unitarian church next door. And I said, no, actually evangelical Baptist <coughs> church uh, at downtown. And they looked at each other and talked for a little while and then they, they got up and they changed tables and they would not speak to me for the rest of the moment. Now, that was the first time I really experienced, like, public, just social awkwardness because of my job, but it wouldn't be the last time. In fact, it was really hard to rent certain facilities in downtown Asheville because they would rent them to coffee shops, they would rent them to bookstores, but they would not rent them to churches. And it's not just me. I've talked with medical students who have um, been denied places in residencies because of their pro-life views. I've talked to university or college students that are just outright mocked by professors in class, in public, on a regular basis. I've talked to a lot of people in our congregation that have a sibling or have an in-law who have a family member that are openly hostile to Christianity. And it just makes beach trips and Thanksgiving days and Christmas days just really awkward and confrontational and stressful. See, Persecution doesn't have to mean a violent attack. Persecution is also things like being mocked, being misunderstood, being assigned intentions that you don't have, being labeled, being avoided, being passed over, being brushed aside, or being shamed. How many of you guys have experienced something like that by virtue of your faith? Yeah, a lot of us, okay? And, and just so you know, this is a common tactic that the enemy uses. Remember that first week? It's a different time. It's a different culture, but it's the same enemy and it's the same tactics. We have an enemy. It's not other people. It is Satan. And he loves using persecution to try to take us down because he knows that persecution has this way of intimidating us. It has this way of silencing us. And he loves us because he wants us to hide the light that we have. The hope, the living hope that we have in Jesus, he wants to do everything that he can for us to keep that to ourselves. And so if he can make it socially awkward to talk about Jesus, or if he can make sure that there are consequences, even small ones, by virtue of being a Christ follower, he's gonna do that. But what we're gonna see this week is that God is in the business of taking things that the enemy means for evil and using them for our good and for his glory. So uh, let me kind of set up the scene here, there's actually way too many verses on persecution for us to go through. It's Peter's favorite topic in this book. I think I know why. I'll talk about that at the end. Um, It's about a quarter of the whole book is about persecution. But first thing that Peter does is he makes sure that his readers understand he's talking about persecution. He's not talking about punishment. And there's a difference. See, punishment is when you do something bad or you do something wrong and you have to pay consequences. Persecution is just consequences that you go through by virtue of being a Christ follower. He says this in chapter two, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Or he says in chapter four, but let, you're gonna suffer, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. He says there's a difference between punishment and persecution. And we're not talking about punishment. We're talking about persecution. We shouldn't confuse the two. And you'd be surprised how many people confuse those two. I'll, I'll have conversations sometimes with folks. They'll say, man, I'm being persecuted at work, and I'm being persecuted at school. I'm being persecuted by my family. And you get a, a go in the conversation and peel back the layers of the onion and you realize, Oh, you're just a jerk. Like you're not being persecuted. You're just annoying and judgmental. You're getting what you deserve. I got called to the scene of a fight one time by a police officer because one of our members had struck somebody. And so I go down to this park and I don't know what's going on. And I talked to the police officer. He said, I need to call you because this dude that goes to your church hit this old lady. And I was like, what in the world's going on? So I go to this dude. I'm like, Tell me the story. He's like, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not what the police officer said. And he said, no, no, no. They were saying Christian this and Christian that and Mother Mary this and Mother Mary that. And I'm like, dude, your name's Christian. And the old lady you hit's named Mary, and that's her son that's yelling at you. No laughs at all. Okay, no. That story didn't really happen, okay? No, our members have never struck old oh, ladies. I'll strike that from the next service. Golly, tough crowd. <laughs> But no, you get the point, right? Just because you're suffering and happen to be a Christian doesn't mean that it's necessarily persecution. My granddaddy say, just because a cat has kittens in the oven, I don't make them biscuits, okay? So Peter says, don't be a jerk. So with that out of the way, Peter starts to teach us how we should think about and handle real persecution. There's three sections, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. You can talk about them in your small groups. And I love the way... He starts one of these sections. It is so comical at first glance, but then kind of just really profound and mature when you think about it. He says this in chapter three, verse 13. He says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He says, if you're trying to do good, who in the world is going to try to stop you? Like if you want to do good things, who in the world is going to persecute you? And you're like Peter did you watch Jesus get beaten and crucified for doing good? Like Peter, you're the dude who who got beaten and jailed not once, but multiple times. I'm sure that when his leaders read this letter and they got to this point, they're a little confused. They're like, does he want a list? Because we can give him a list. There's lots of people that want to hurt me for doing good. But I just love Peter's optimism. Like he's experienced persecution and he hasn't lost his faith and humanity, This is a very, very healthy mindset to have because Peter knows that once you experience persecution once, it's really, really easy to get cold feet and not to attempt and not to try things and not to go out on mission like Jesus calls you to do. So that's, that's a really good mindset that we should have. Who is there to harm you for doing good? Just assume that persecution is not around every corner. But he does acknowledge that sometimes you will be persecuted even for doing good. So what do you do? What's the plan? What do you do when the enemy is trying to take you out with persecution? Well, the first step is to endure, to endure. Everyone say endure. Apex, give me a big endure. Awesome. He says this in chapter 2, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. The word endure literally means to stand up under, to bear the weight of, to not be bent over or bowed down because of the weight of, to patiently suffer through. And man, this is so counterculture. This is the opposite of what we want to do. Whenever we experience discomfort or something unpleasant, our natural inclination is to do what? To run away, to get out of it, to avoid it, to fight back. We naturally want to escape, not endure. But Peter tells us that in those moments of persecution, that moment where your teacher is mocking you in public, In that moment where that coworker is judging you or or spreading gossip about you, in that moment where that family member is just going after you for your beliefs, he says, don't run out of the room. He says, don't avoid that environment. Don't put in a request to change departments just yet. Just endure, endure. Jesus talks about this a lot. It actually comes up in his parable of the sowers. Remember when the farmer sows seeds on different um, surfaces, he says this, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. Jesus says, you gotta be on your guard. Satan wants to use persecution to stop you from enduring. But what Jesus says and Peter says is, don't give in. Don't bow down. Don't let them silence you. Don't allow them to make you hide the light that you have or the hope that you have. Don't back down, endure. Now, we have to pause for just a moment because we don't wanna take this to the extreme. I wanna point out first, Peter is specifically talking about religious persecution. He's not talking about things like racism that's handled differently. You can read Galatians, you can read in the Old Testament. There's a whole different set uh, of, of principles for that. But he also doesn't want us to take it to the full extreme where he he doesn't want us just to rush into harm's way on purpose. He doesn't want us to seek out suffering or just to rush into danger whenever we see it. Like we don't want to go to that extreme. If you're in Nigeria and someone calls you and says, hey, there's two Boko Haram guys in in your home and they have machetes and they want to take your life. What Peter would not encourage you to do is say, okay, great. I need to endure it. Let me get in my car and head to my house. Like I would encourage you not to do that. So it doesn't mean you purposefully walk into danger that you're not wise. In the Bible, what we see is it's kind of a gray area. Sometimes people endure some pretty horrific persecution and sometimes they escape it. Sometimes they flee. It's a both and. Sometimes Paul preaches and the mob just gets stirred up and he just stays put. And he takes the beating and he takes the mocking and he takes the jail time. Sometimes he preaches and the crowds get stirred up and the authorities start looking for him and he lets his friends put him in a basket and let him outside the city walls. See, it's not as black and white as we would want. Even Jesus' words about this are both in when he talks about the end times in Matthew chapter 10. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But in the very next verse, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. And so it's not black and white. It's kind of a choice And I think it really depends on the spirit. I think in those moments of what what we should endure and what we shouldn't, what we should persevere through and what we should avoid, it really is about the spirit guiding us. I mean, some year you'll just get to like November and be like, man, we got that hostile family member and Thanksgiving's coming up and my grace tank is low. (laughs) And I think we just need a quiet week as a family to to just bond and recuperate. I think we're gonna sit this Thanksgiving out. And I think Jesus is like, that's okay. But then maybe December comes around and you're like, man, I've just been praying for that family member. I think God's going to do something in their life. And as weird and as stressful and as awkward as it's going to be, I think we should go. I think we should go into that situation. I think Jesus would be pleased with that as well. So it's not black and white. But what we do see in black and white is that whenever someone decides to endure persecution, God always uses it in a huge way. Uh, There's a story in the first few chapters of Acts where Peter, the dude who wrote this book, is walking into the temple with John. They see a paralyzed man. They say, get up and walk. And he walks. The crowds start going crazy. Um, So the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the, 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 the religious leaders arrest Peter and John, and they bring him into a private meeting. Now, if Peter and John would have seen the high priest coming, and would have sought to avoid it, like spraying with pepper spray and hopped in an Uber and got out of there, then they never would have had the chance to have a closed door meeting with the high priest. See, but because they endured, God used that. The same is true of Paul. When Paul was going to Rome near the end of his life, he knew that he would be imprisoned. He could have stayed out of Rome and stayed out of persecution, but instead he got on a boat, he pulled up to the dock, he was immediately arrested, but the arrest situation was pretty cool. He was actually chained to a guard 24 hours a day and they traded off in shifts. And Paul was like, this is awesome. Guess who's hearing about the gospel? Peter, it's your shift. Come on, we're halfway through Psalms. We're almost to the New Testament. I'm writing some of them. It's going to be amazing. So he actually got to share the gospel with all these guards. And because he endured that persecution, a lot of the royalty in Rome heard and responded to the gospel. Because he escaped, because he endured. But that never would have happened, at least in this case, if he didn't endure. Stand up underneath it. So it's kind of gray on when to voluntarily go into a hostile situation, but it is very clear that when we feel led by the spirit to do it, God uses it. Okay. You guys got that? That's the first step. First step is endure. Say endure. All right. The second step is entrust. Everyone say entrust. Morrisville, give me a big entrust. Awesome. Heard you. All right. Chapter two says this, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In chapter four, the theme verse for this whole letter, he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And trust literally means to hand over or to set before or to take something that's precious to you and to give it to someone else for safekeeping. Um, This is actually something that my wife's family have entrusted to me. It was my father-in-law's last Bible that he used. He passed away the year before um, Jenny and I got married. Um, he was a Bible dork just like I am. He knew this thing backwards and forwards. We had hours long conversations about it um, before he passed away. Um, but when he did pass away, um, the family said, hey, you, you like the Bible? You teach the Bible. Rick was a Bible teacher as well. We want you to have it. But what they really w- were saying, hey, this is really important to us. This is like, this is, this is really, really special to us. So we're, we're hoping that you keep this in working order, that you keep it out of harm's way. We're trusting you with this. The front cover was already torn off. I just realized that when I brought it up here, Rick did that. Okay. But um, Peter's saying that in persecution, there's going to be moments where we need to take stuff that's very, very important to us. That's very, very crucial to us, that we hold very, very dear. And in persecution, there's going to be moments where we have to take those things and we have to set them in the lap of God. We say, God, I can't keep this safe. I need you to keep this safe. What do I mean? Well, like as a college student, when your professor's maybe mocking you in class, what you probably in that moment desperately want is for the other students to not be tricked, to have a proper view of the Bible truths that your professor is kind of twisting. And when you have a coworker that's calling you judgmental, that's calling you hateful, that's labeling you, what's probably really, really important in that moment is that all your other coworkers know, I'm not. I'm really, really not or when you find out that someone's spreading gossip or lies about you behind your back, that is one of the hardest things to hear. That's one of the hardest things to go through. And what's going to be really, really important to you in that moment is for you to save face to protect your reputation. You're going to go to every single person that that person probably lied to or gossiped to and give them the real facts. But see what Peter is saying is that in those circumstances, even though what we desperately want to do is control and manage all those things ourselves in the face of persecution, oftentimes it's just not possible. And it's also not what we're commanded to do. Instead, like Jesus who entrusted everything he was to God, were to in those moments say, here God, here God, you take the way that people understand me. I can't can't protect that, I can't manage that, that's up to you. Hey God, you take people's misunderstanding of your word and your truths. I can't manage that, I can't protect that, but you can. Hey God, you take my desire for a nice, peaceful, non-confrontational Thanksgiving dinner, (laughs) I want to manage that. I want to control that. I have no hope of doing that. I'm going to give that to you. And I know that you can even give me peace in the midst of a hostile situation. Or here, God, here's my reputation. Here's my integrity. Here's my public image. I can't manage it. I can't protect it, but you can. So I'm going to place it in your hands. Will you take care of this? See, we entrust it to him instead of going into damage control or image management, okay? We entrust it to him. So instead of escape, we endure. Instead of control, we entrust. And the last one is bless. Everyone say bless. Bless. Who would I forget? Garner, give me a big bless. All right. This is my favorite one. He says this in chapter three. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And he points us to the example of Jesus. We've read it before but he says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you example. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter's remembering the cross he's remembering Jesus's final moments before the resurrection where he was beaten and he didn't punch back. He was mocked and he didn't yell back. He was crucified. He was reviled and he gave nothing back except to bless. And he's saying we should do the same thing. When you're reviled, when you're looked over, when you're made fun of for your beliefs, you look at the person that's doing that and you bless. You bless. You don't argue. You don't try to save face. You don't rehearse the conversation over and over and over again. And what you should have said or what you will say next time, you just bless. And I love this because it makes these really, really complicated, highly emotional situations so easy. What do you do to the teacher who's mocking you for your beliefs at college every single day? Easy. You get some Krispy Kreme donuts and you let them have the first choice. What do you do to that coworker who is labeling you hateful or labeling you backwards or judgmental? Easy, you take two or three of your vacation days, say, here, I want you to have these. What do you do to that relative that just publicly demeans you and rails against Christianity every single holiday? Well, you save up a little extra cash and you buy them the best Christmas present that you can afford? It's so easy, right? You look at those who want to harm you and you bless, for to this you were called. And that should just be our default position here in our city. When people say, you know what this city needs? It needs less Christians and less of their hateful teachings. We say, well, you know what I think the city needs? It needs more volunteers at the library. And it needs more money for the PTAs. You know what this town needs? It needs all these backwards, judgmental evangelicals to get out of here. Oh yeah, you know what I think it needs? I think it needs a few more women's shelters and some places to heal from human trafficking. I think it needs a few more recovery groups and people to visit the elderly. you just love that? I love that. How do you combat reviling and insults? You bless. You bless. You endure you entrust and you bless. And when we do this, God can use it so powerfully. I want to end this in a weird way. I'm going to throw you something. Catch, okay? That's a horrible throw. You're going to have to go catch that somewhere. Okay, you ready? That's a horrible throw too. Did you get it? No? Okay, here's another one. Here you go. There we go. We got one. Here, this is bigger. Did you get it? Here you go. Oh, you know what that is? This is a... Uh, This is myrrh, you know, like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was on my mind a lot because I'm researching Good Friday and Easter, and it shows up a lot. This is what they brought to Jesus um, on the day that he was born. At one point, it was worth more than gold. If you don't know what myrrh is, um, it is a plant resin. It's like pine sap. And uh, you get it um, from cutting into thorn bushes or trees in a very specific region at a very specific time of the year. And these trees don't like to grow hardly anywhere else. That's why it's so rare and it's so expensive. And um, in fact, this is, uh, it also has a pain relieving quality. Uh, It takes the sting out of pain. That's why you can mix it with wine. It was offered to Jesus on the cross, but he refused to take it. And so it was sitting at a cup at the foot of the cross, and then Nicodemus brought 75 pounds. He anointed Jesus' body with this, uh, placed them in the tomb, and then the women, Mary, showed up with even more of it on Easter Sunday. So this is the smell or the aroma that you would have smelled at the cross all the way through Easter. Smell it. Smell it. It's a weird aroma, isn't it? It's like a licorice, mint, earth. It's very, very faint. You know why? Because this is not the form that you need it in to release its aroma, you have to crush it. You're supposed to crush it. You have to apply pressure and grind it down. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of how Jesus can use persecution, right? See, we're to to be the aroma of Christ in our world. When people live around us, they're supposed to, it smells like Jesus, it smells like life, it smells like hope. And I think the reason that Peter wrote so much about persecution is because he realized he missed his chance that Good Friday. See, Peter in the garden, he was willing to fight for Jesus. Remember, he cut off Malchus's ear. He was willing to go to war. He was willing to be violent. He was ready to fight for Jesus, but he wasn't willing to suffer for Jesus. Denied him three times. And there is a type of Christianity that is willing to fight, but there's another type of Christianity that's willing to suffer. And one leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And the other leaves a pleasing aroma, right? And I think if more Christians would lay down the sword and endure and entrust and bless and be ground down a little bit and let Jesus kind of put that pressure on us through persecution, we would smell a whole lot better in this world. And Peter actually witnessed the most powerful moment where God used persecution. And it was on Good Friday. See, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. Most commentators think those thieves did not deserve to be there. Um, They were just accomplices to a murderer. Guess who that murderer was? It was Barabbas. It was, the, it was the, the murderer that the crowd said, let go instead of Jesus. So when they were hanging on that cross, they hated it because they didn't deserve to be there. Um, the pain was so immense. Most people hanging on a cross would just be in a violent rage until they died because the pain was so much and the crosses were actually at a a big crossroads. There's hundreds of people walking by. And so people on the cross would just yell and they would cuss and they would spit and they would do everything they can just lashing out in violence towards all these people because of the pain that they were undergoing. Well, in the midst of all of this, here comes this Jewish rabbi that lays down on the cross voluntarily and gives him one hand, gives him the other, gives him his feet, doesn't protest, doesn't yell. And then when he's hoisted up between the two thieves, they start cussing at him. They start reviling him. They start mocking him. And they realize he's not mocking in return. He's not reviling in return. There's this peace. There's this rest. There's this steadiness. There's this endurance. And so one of these thieves just says, oh, enough with him, and starts cussing out all these other people. But there's one thief where Jesus' actions through this persecution, it just grabs, grabs his attention. He says, he's not reviling. He's not spitting. He's not cussing. And... He, he recognizes the very first time Jesus gets his first breath, which would be agony because he'd have to put all the weight on the nail on his feet and force his back up against that cross just to get one lungful of air. And when he did that, he didn't use it to curse. He didn't use it to revile. He used it to do what? To pray, but not for himself, for others. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. With the first breath on the cross, he blesses. And one of the thieves is just watching this with the smell of myrrh. And he notices his endurance, his trust, his perseverance, his blessing. And he says, this guy is something else. So he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, just by witnessing someone going through persecution, the way that God commands us, this man's eternal destiny was changed. Listen, God can do that with your professor. He can do that with your coworker. He can do that in that angry and that hostile relative, but we gotta stop fighting and we gotta start trusting and we gotta start enduring and we gotta start blessing. And I trust that God will use that in huge ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I couldn't get to half the stuff in those verses. So, man, for those of us in this room that this doesn't apply to, may we remember this. May you lock this into our memory that we could just call it to mind when the time arises. But for those of us in this room that this applies to, would you give us supernatural courage? Would you give us a love in our hearts right now for the one who is persecuting us? Would you allow us to think up the best way that we could bless them, Could we pinpoint the thing that we need to entrust to you? Father, would you give us the strength to endure so that we could be the aroma of Jesus? Would you do this for your name? Thank
0: you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out GetHope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.